You're listening to the Give Me Five Podcast, episode 20. This is our 2017 year-end review. Dear God, guys, we made it to episode 20. Oh my God, can you believe it? Rush on an uptown train, doors open, and she walks in, she's soaking, caught in the rain, her skin shines crystalline. As 2017 comes to an end, we'll be reviewing this year's Best in Entertainment. That's right. We're going to be letting you know our favorite books, music, TV, games, streaming, and a few surprise categories. We might even invite a special guest or two to reveal their favorites. Say hello, Omar. What's up, Fivers? Hello. Welcome to the first annual edition of the Fiveies, which is the name I just came up with like right now. Yeah, no, that's terrible. We won't keep that. <laughs> we, we should. <laughs> So here's our, our usual spoiler warning. Uh, this is our version of an awards show, so there might occasionally be a few spoilers. However, we got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're not going to be kind of going into plots and things like that. So there might not be some, uh, not be as many spoilers as normal. For example, though, if you didn't know that Justice League is not very good, or that Rob really, really hates EA, you might want to stop and come back later. Screw you, EA! <laughs> <laughs> So guys, as always, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. That is F-I-V-E for five. You can also follow us and interact with us on Twitter and Instagram at the handle at Give Me Five Pod. Or if you feel like emailing us, hit us a line, shoot us a line at Give Me Five Podcast at gmail.com. And do us a favor, leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you are using. We would really appreciate it. So guys, as we wrap up this year, how have the holidays been treating you? Yeah, I've uh, you know, I've had a really pretty casual holiday, but for the most part, I've been catching up on all the movies and things I hadn't had a chance to see throughout the year. So I finally watched War of the Planet of the Apes, nice. uh, Fate, Fate of the Furious, Get Out, um, what else? The Big Sick. Uh uh, train spotting two and rewatched the first train spotting, uh, which is such a good movie. I've still not seen part two. Uh, yeah, I'm in I still on Black Friday. Part one. I, it's not your kind of movie, Rob. Right on. Uh, on Black Friday, I went out and uh, you know bought a bunch of movies because it was cheaper to buy them than rent them. You know, four ninety nine for a, a Blu-ray. Yeah. So I bought a bunch of those. Oh, I got, got to see Baby Driver, which I loved. Uh, so it's really just been you know every night watch a couple movies and uh, catch up on uh, work and stuff like that. What about you guys? Well, I had a uh, I had an early Christmas. Um, I unfortunately had to be on call on Christmas, um, and I actually did have to go in and do a couple of cases. But um, we we had an early Christmas. We did ours on Saturday so that we could drive home Christmas Eve because um, both both I and Jen had to work Christmas Day. Um, but just been just been hanging out, catching up on some gaming, some TV shows, some movies. Uh, picking up a couple of the things I wanted that I didn't necessarily get for Christmas this year. Uh, I have a question about those cases. Um, did any of them involve getting Christmas ornaments stuck in areas? No, no, none of them yeah. did. Yeah. Not a single one. 
That's a shame because that would totally make it worth it to go into work on Christmas. Yeah. How about how about you, Omar? Yeah. Oh, um, the usual. Um, too many gifts for the kids and uh, family everywhere. Just general merit, I would say. There was a, a small barking gift I saw. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, there's a new puppy named Oliver who's adorable. Um, it's a, uh, what was it, a Shih Tzu Yorkie mix. So I don't know if it's a Yorkie 2 or a Shit Key. I'm not sure what you want to call it. <laughs> I like Shit, <laughs> I like shit Key too. Yeah, it's, I dig it. it's a Shit Key. <laughs> oh, but he's adorable. He's, he's really cute. He's like eight and he needs to bite my shoelaces. And you asked the question, Jimmy. What about you? Yeah. Um, I actually spent the – I actually spent Christmas in St. Augustine um, with my girlfriend and some friends. And we had a really nice time. Got to see the lights up in St. Augustine. Took a trolley tour. Uh, got to check out Old Town, all the shops and everything. Um, we had private access to the beach, which I did not know this. Uh, walking onto the beach, it was extremely dark. Um, and I didn't know that they keep lights off the beach because the baby turtles will walk towards them. Yeah. Um, yeah, thinking it's the moon. Yeah. So it was absolutely gorgeous. We had a great time, played a lot of, uh, card games, board games played. Um, and I hope to get you guys together to, to play these sometimes. Um, pandemic, exploding kittens, uh, played some oh, Star Wars. Exploding Wars. kittens. Exploding really kittens fun. a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Played the new Star Wars Trivi- Trivial Pursuit. Nice. Played Oregon Trail, which is... I had to scrape the dead baby turtles off his bottom of his feet every time he walked <laughs> off the beach. Yeah. Um, played Oregon Trail, the card game, which was extraordinarily hard, but really fun. So, had a great time, got a lot of gifts, got a lot of beef jerky. I was just in St. Augustine two weeks ago. I had no idea that they had this whole thing with with all the lights and like all the Christmas lights. It was... It was it was amazing. It was like every single street is this like beautiful lit up situation. It was great. Yeah, it was very nice. very cool. Nice. I have to go up there one year. Yeah, they give you if you take the trolley tour, which is like thirteen bucks a person. Which I don't know. You know, I was concerned about the worth of that, how long we were going to go and everything. But we got stuck in traffic, so we were on this trolley, at, you know, for quite a while, quite a long time. Excellent. Nice. Nice. Okay, so uh, before we get started, I just wanted to see, you know, what did you guys think of pop culture as a whole this year? Like, looking at your lists and thinking back to the media and stuff that you consumed, what did you kind of get as an overall feeling? Um, Stephen King. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He came up a lot. He did, and I thought that was great. While there, I mean, there have been hits and misses, there's been a lot of revisiting of you know, his older stuff. And, and, you know, we might mention this a little, a little bit later, but um, the dark tower, for example, it Gerald's game, 1922. Um, you know, there's just been a, a great resurgence of Stephen King and a, a huge um, kind of, uh, a, you know, newfound interest. And I'm, I'm loving it. So that's mm-hmm. probably been my favorite thing media wise. And I know you don't really follow the social media, but he's been very vocal on social media as well. Oh, has he? Yeah. And as only an author can do, you know, in a hundred and what, how many letters is Twitter? Like 132 or 118 or whatever. You're totally 44. Uh, whatever. They just doubled it this year. Yeah. But only for some people. Oh, I didn't know that. But, um, yeah, with, with that level of characters, he's had a, a way with words and that's been 
And I'm sure, it'll, again, it'll probably get covered later. Hmm. Um, for me, with pop culture, it's definitely been, I think, a lot of... I find it very interesting because knowing how long movies and animations and stuff take to get made, mm-hmm. that you we've seen a lot of responses to political goings-ons that clearly the stuff was made before any of these things happened. So I think it's kind of weird that we've been able to see you know, responses to things that technically hadn't happened yet when they you know, put money down on, on buying this stuff and making this stuff. Okay. And I also, I see a variety of stuff. I think that there's been this year, it was hard to pinpoint it as the year of something because there's been, you know, even musically movies, it's just been, it's been all all over the board for me, at least to me, it's either I'm branching out more or the massive amounts of ways to intake media has led to just a larger variety yeah, I mean, speaking to that, I've I've got to say, if anything, it it would if you want to pinpoint, you know, and nail it down, I'd say, you know, this year has been the year of streaming and original programming. Well, they I mean, as far as movies go, I mean, this is this is also one of the biggest um, probably superhero years that we've had in a while. If um, I mean, I don't True. have any specific numbers, but there were there were a lot of superhero movies released this year. Mm hmm. And there's also a few more coming right at the beginning of right, this coming year. Exactly. So it yeah. It was it was a great year for movies. It was a great year for television. True. Yeah. Yep. True. Well, um I would like to start off the uh started off by first getting the somber stuff out of the way. Because twenty seventeen was a terrible year as far as entertainers that we lost. Um we lost quite a few legends this year. Um from from music, uh, people like Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, Tom Petty, um, to entertainment, um, guys like John Hurt and Bill Paxton. We lost Adam West, uh, George Romero. The, I mean, the father of the modern day zombie movies. Yeah. Um, and and also guys like Jerry Lewis and Hugh Hefner. I mean, both both big guys in their field. I mean, it was it was it was rough for for entertainers this year. We lost a lot of legends. I mean, 20, 2016 hit pretty hard with David Bowie and Prince and mm-hmm. Lemmy and those. But, 20, I mean, it, it's weird because we are going, at least I think we all have a top five losses. But that is not diminishing the fact that these are people and they actually died. It's just yeah. this is more of a personal thing. You know, like Adam West doesn't mean as much to me because I was not a big fan of the TV show Batman nor his his role on Family Guy. But I'm sure that it's affected other people, but it doesn't mean any less when we put it in a top five list. So we're not doing this. Right. We're not doing losses in a top five. I just wanted to acknowledge that we, that we lost quite a few entertainers this year. Um, and you know, I don't know that it was any more than in previous years because everybody's kind of, you know, it, at least the ones that we're familiar with, we're getting a little older now. And so are the, so are the entertainers that we grew up with. Yeah. So, um, I, I didn't necessarily want to quantify this into a list, just okay. just an acknowledgement of of those that we lost this year. And yeah, there's there's a few I wanted to talk about specifically. Oh, go for it, please. And I'm, I think Jimmy will probably mention one of them, so I'm going to leave George Romero to him. Chris Cornell of Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, anyone that listens to the show or knows me specifically knows that Pearl Jam is big on my list. I've had the opportunity to see Soundgarden and Chris Cornell quite a few times as a result of the Pearl Jam thing. 
um, at P- the PJ20 concerts, which were a series of two-day concerts up in Wisconsin for Pearl Jam's 20th anniversary. Uh, Chris Cornell came out, and they actually played some Temple of the Dog stuff, which up to that point had never been played live. Whoa. And it was stunningly good. Um, so Chris Cornell and Pearl Jam together made up a band called Temple of the Dog. They played together. I saw Chris Cornell play with Linkin Park, of all of all people. And, of course, Chester Bennington passed away or, or committed suicide this year. Um, and they did a Temple of the Dog song together. I actually saw Chris Cornell. This is more lost, but I saw Chris Cornell uh, with as Soundgarden with Nine Inch Nails the night that Robin Williams passed away. Mm. So that was kind of a weird, subtle thing because they because he mentioned it, and then everyone did the bangerang chant thing from from Hook throughout. Like you could hear it echoing throughout the the venue. Wow, mm-hmm. what a show! Oh my god, I can't believe it. Yeah, so it was it was pretty crazy. That one hit me. Um, Chuck Berry passed away, I believe, in February. Yeah, it was relatively early. And in March, I got the opportunity, uh, thanks to a, a gift, to go to a, a gift from my mother, actually, to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concert. And Chuck Berry was the very first performer ever entered into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Some people would say he invented rock and roll. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I forget which band opened it up. I think it was... Uh, either Electric Light Orchestra or one of the other bands that opened it up by playing a medley of Chuck Berry songs with a giant looming video of Chuck Berry over the screen. And it was, it was, it gave you chills. Even though that music is not the type of music that's really supposed to give you chills, it just did. Um, and then, then of course, Tom Petty, a huge loss. And Omar and I actually in high school went to a Tom Petty concert. Uh, I, I, the Tom Petty thing for me, and I'm 41, so you know, for people who might be listening who are about that age, I mean, what, it sounds ridiculous, but some of my earliest memories are Tom Petty videos. Mm-hmm. Like to me, my brain is still sort of coping with the fact that he's dead. Like very literally, it, I, there's pushback in my mind that I can't ever go see Tom Petty live again. It was so shocking to me mm-hmm. because he was like foundational to my upbringing like it sounds so stupid in in a way like it sounds so ridiculous but like some of my earliest videos are like uh uh, i mean memories are videos of um like you got lucky and uh don't come around here no more and stuff like video vanguard awards were given to tom petty for those Mm. things and i didn't even understand at the i'm I'm like eight years old at the time you know eight nine ten years old i just this was just like cool videos with like great songs yeah and by the time you and i greg went to go see him to me, he was a living legend, even back in the early mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom Petty, and then the greatest, novel, what's that? He released his greatest hits, hits album when we were seniors in high school. Correct. So, like for us, it was almost like this. Yeah, it was like a living legend, where it was like kind of like classic rock, but it was also he was still producing stuff like Mary Jane's Last Dance. Well, interesting thing, Mary Jane's Last Dance is the last song that was recorded with the original lineup of the Heartbreakers. That was the last song that was recorded before the drummer left the band. Or I, should I say kicked out? I'm not really sure how we want to play that, but that was the last song that was recorded with him. And first of all, it's an amazing song, but for those of us who follow Tom Petty, there's a there's a definite evolution that goes on. And uh, the I think the Greatest Hits album came out just right around the same time as Wildflowers, which is a solo Tom yeah, Petty record, but even his solo records have a fair amount of heartbreakers who play on the records, like the keyboard player and the guitar player. Um, mm-hmm. But Tom Petty is just 
a giant in, 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 and I'm a musician. I think if I recall correctly, Jimmy, you're a musician too. Um, but I'm a drummer. So when I hear Tom Petty, when I hear the, 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 the songwriting and just, if you know a little bit about his background and what he did in the music industry outside of just playing, but the way he, he pushed back against the music industry. Um, it's, it's amazing. If, if, if any of you have four and a half hours to kill, watch the documentary that was made about him. Literally it's four and a half hours. It's called running down a dream. <laughs> and I watched the entire thing. And to me, it went by in a moment. It was like an instant because the entire, it was a four and a half hour documentary. I believe it was made by, um, Martin Scorsese, if I recall correctly. It is amazing. It is an in-depth history of Tom Petty. It came out like, I don't know. I don't want to lie to you. Maybe 10 years, 12 years ago. It's fantastic. I mean, it's just so good. Please check it out. Wow. Yeah, the uh, documentary is actually directed by Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, Pete Bog, that's right. Pete Bog, yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, Tom Petty was probably the most su- uh, like surprising Absolutely. loss this year. Um, I, I can remember being very young, and you know, I'm a little bit younger than you guys, but uh, the video for Free Fallen. Yeah, that was huge. Yep, I was going to mention that as well. Was kind of my introduction to Tom Petty. You know, the skateboarding and and just the cinematography in the video was just. It I, seemed like that video was always on in the either it was either in the summer. I don't know what year, but I remember on summer break you'd watch MTV when you're at least for me. I wasn't really supposed to watch MTV when I was younger, and like my parents would be at work, and I was at that point I was it wasn't a big deal anymore. But I remember that video being mm-hmm. on almost all the time. Yeah, it was, and it was cool. Mm-hmm. Like, the escalator and the I can you know for me being as young as I was seeing that even then Tom Petty was a legend correct by that point he was a legend yeah I can remember thinking wow here's you know wow I've I've heard about Tom Petty from my parents and he's making this you know there's this music video and they're skateboarding and it you know it's kind of bringing him into the you know what was happening at the time and you know that was that was super surprising for me um and not to dim- i know we keep saying this but not to diminish any of the other losses you know we lost bill paxton uh, i've talked about it and and bill paxton was the big surprise for me i mean i'm i'm not as as in into mm-hmm. music as you guys are so i mean those those weren't the big ones for me but but um the two that really got me were bill paxton and adam west um both of those were huge i mean and i know that adam west was like was like old you know, he was getting up there in years, but, mm-hmm. but they, they, they both kind of blindsided me and took me by surprise. Um, and I was actually sad to hear that I was actually sad to hear that they passed. And then along with John Hurt, um, those, yeah. but, but really, really Bill Paxton and Adam West were the ones that got me. The, the Bill Paxton one, if you guys, you know, want to learn a little bit more, about two weeks before he passed away, he was on the WTF podcast with Mark mm-hmm. Marin, and he gave an, he gave an interview. And I remember I listened to it while I was in the shower and a little bit afterwards. And I remember he told this story about how he got started. And he was like living on some in some camp doing I think it was either coal mining or oil work or I think it was fixing oil derricks. And he decided to just kind of film a movie on the side and just his love for the idea of filmmaking. Oh, wow. uh, I got out of the shower and I remember thinking. I'm so happy to be able to see this guy's work and I, I'm going to have to keep seeing more of his work. And he mentioned so many movies that I forgot he was in. 
and was like, oh, that was really good. And there was the. <laughs> and I, I still picture him in Twister. It wasn't even his best movie, but for some reason, that's the movie that I picture him in. It, when I, when I think of Bill Paxton, I think of Twister. <laughs> I think of Weird Science. Oh, Jess. Yes. Yeah. Chet has been weird. That's what he said on that pod, on that one podcast, which you can probably still find. It's out there. Um, mm-hmm. He talked about that's the one that people always quote to him, which I was shocked because I totally thought people would quote aliens to him. And that's the one I quote all the Game time. Over. Game over, man. Game over. Game over, yeah. man. Those things, <laughs> man. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, losing Bill Paxton, he was on a show um, at the time of his death. So, you know, it was very surprising. He wasn't winding down or anything. He was still going. Uh, I've talked about it on the show many times that Aliens is one of my favorite movies. It's a fantastic and movie. As is mine. You know, him as Hicks, it was just iconic. Um, so that was a big surprise. I, I think it's not as surprising given his history and his declining health, but George Romero, George A. Romero, as Rob said, father of the modern, modern day, you know, zombie genre. I mean, I did contribute to the, after his passing, Malcolm McDowell actually uh, spearheaded the campaign to get him a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And there was a Kickstarter for it. It amazes me that he doesn't I was just going to say that. It's, it's shocking that he doesn't have it. Yeah. Well, it's it kind of a weird way shocking. to get a star. Like, you kind of put it up yourself. It's not like a That's group fair. that does it. It's it's like $50,000 just to, like, it's weird. You know, having watched the Kickstarter and, and contributed to that, he is finally getting his his star, you know. Um, but, you know, I'm going to talk about this in, in live music performances here soon, but I have a story, and you can go back to previous episodes and listen to my story about the first time I saw Night of the Living Dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it inspired my love for the horror genre. And, you, for, and, and also the love of strapping tools to your body. Yes, exactly. But, you know, also, I mean, Fats Domino. Um, Mm. I have very fond memories of when we moved from Norfolk, Virginia to Chesapeake, Virginia. I was in third grade, I think. And we used to drive, my mom would drive me from Norfolk to Chesapeake every day. And we would listen to the oldies, you know, Motown station. Fats Domino would come on quite frequently. And Chuck Berry as well. That was it was kind of rough, you know, um, losing those guys as well. So, ain't that a shame? <laughs> Greg and Rob and I kind of came up in early, like high school in the early '90s. So for me, another one—I mean, Tom Petty was the big one, but I—I'm still kind of reeling from the Chris Cornell thing too. Yeah, that was I kind of can't like I remember Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Nine Inch Nails, like all these bands when they were like new, Rage Against the Machine, like all this stuff was it was like this was what was on the radio. Like this was like influencing us, especially me as a musician playing in bands at the time. When I heard Chris Cornell died, I was just stunned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it was yeah, just everywhere. it was just shocking and you mentioned Temple of the Dog and all this stuff like I remember the first time I saw a Temple of the Dog video, I was it it literally blew me away when I saw yeah. Thunderstrike. I mean, it was like when, you see, when I saw like, Eddie Vedder walk through that the the oh like wheat. I was like, "What?" It was just. Yeah, it's, it was, I'm, I'm right now. I'm literally getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It was. It was like it was like a life changing thing. Like it sounds stupid, but it's not. It's it's true. Yeah, I can remember seeing that late at night. 
and like, wait, what? It's Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. Like what? The first time I saw it, I didn't even know who Pearl Jam and Soundgarden were. Like it was, it, it, it oh, was wow. just, it was brand new. Like all that stuff was. I mean, I'm talking ninety one, maybe ninety, early ninety two. Yeah, because it came out and then it went away and then it came out again. It it was actually created before Soundgarden and Pearl Jam hit it. Well, Soundgarden kind of hit it big. Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam had, had hit, it. hit it really big. Yep. And later on, I saw the Alive. And then video. they re-released yeah. that video, I think. And it was just so different. I mean, it just changed. I mean, that whole era, music changed, I mean, almost overnight. And, and I'm coming from a guy who was like a Bon Jovi and Poison fan. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and then, so you're and coming then, out of... Oh, and then uh, a friend of mine goes. A friend of mine comes up to me yeah. and says, "Oh, have you heard this?" And he played me "Rage Against the Machine." I was like, "What the hell am I hearing? Like, this is unbelievable." You know, it was a totally <laughs> different. It was like the world cracked open. You know, it was, it was amazing. So Chris Cornell is just absolutely is just is is a, is a bombshell. I mean, it really is. It's one. It's one of those things where you said like you're having a hard time wrapping your brain around it. Like the Temple of Dog stuff. They actually went on tour recently, about a year ago, and they didn't come anywhere close to here. They did like six major cities. And it's like, oh, I'll just catch him next time. And, and there's a video on, I believe, on YouTube of Eddie Vedder doing, um, uh, I think, maybe Hunger Strike, like during a show, just just right after Chris Cornell died. And he starts crying at the end of it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think yeah, I've did. seen that. It's unbelievable. I thought it was, did you just say hello to heaven? Maybe it was say hello to heaven, maybe. Yeah. I, I, I can't recall at the moment. So many tributes came pouring out of that from so many different artists that I would never think were inspired by Chris Cornell. And I, we won't get into the whole discussion of mental health, but I think the way he, I mean, he committed suicide and it was just, it was a big shock. And if you, and and it doesn't necessarily surprise me that so many people came out because if you, I feel like he's kind of underrated. His voice, his vocals are, are not of this earth. I mean, yeah, they're oh, definitely. He's incredible. One of I mean, he's like, as far as vocals are concerned, and his his abilities, he's a giant among musicians, in my opinion. He's amazing. I'm still talking to about in present tense, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. All right, guys. So now that we're you know rolling with music, um, what were your top five albums or you know music for 2017? So my albums, it was, it was interesting because I was, I was trying to not go, I was trying not to pick all of the same stuff, but I really got into certain, I don't want to call it a rut. I just got into very like genre specific things throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but my number five is the Guardians of the Galaxy mixtape, which actually surprised me just a little bit because it, first of all, it was not as good as the first um, Guardians of the Galaxy mixtapes. This is part two or version two. Mm-hmm. Sure. It wasn't as good as that that one. But of the first one, when I listened to it, there were certain songs I would start kind of skipping through right away after I heard it a bunch of times. Just not my type of music or genre or whatever. But the um, this one actually had a song in it that actually brought me to tears. It just like it had father and son, which is a conversation about between a father and a son. And he's and Cat Stevens does the song. And he does it in two voices. He he does like a deeper voice, which is the father, and then a, a, a less deep voice, which is the son. And it's basically a conversation between them and the son saying he wants to go off and do these things. And the father's like, no, 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 you need to stay here for now. And even though my kid's only four, just about to be five, I was like walking my dog after seeing the movie, listening to the soundtrack. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> so if a song can affect me that much, even though it is a, a not a remake, but 
you know, even though it's a song that's been around forever, that put it on the list. Um, also, you know, some Electric Light Orchestra stuff, uh, uh, Fox on the Run by Sweet, which I really like, and the song Brandy by Looking Glass, which if you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2, that he talks about it as like the best song ever written. And I'm a sucker for that. Like whenever someone points out a song in a movie as to why it's good, I usually listen. And I I would like to point out that that's the reference. That's the musical reference Uh, that I made that nobody picked up. Yes, you did. I was just about to mention Uh, that. If you listen to my review of the book Naked Alliances by S.K. Nichols, Rob did make that and I hadn't seen the movie yet. So I get it now, Rob. I'm not talking about the movie. I'm talking about the song. I made a musical reference. I know. Okay. Okay. There was a character in the book named Brandy, and you said, is she a fine girl? And I was like, what? Okay, so I'm listening to the show a couple of weeks ago, and I hear it. and Automatically, that's what I thought when you said it. (laughs) I'm screaming at my phone. (laughs) Thank you, Omar. It's a song reference. He made a song reference. And nobody caught it. (laughs) And I'm like, huh? Yeah, I, I, that was. I, I'm gonna say that was my bad on that one. So, yeah, that, that definitely got it. Like, so whenever someone in a movie talks about what a certain song means to them and all that, I it it personalizes the song for me and it actually kind of makes it rise up. Uh, my number four is "Concrete and Gold" by Foo Fighters, number four album of the year. Um, it is a straight up Foo Fighters album. There's, you know, it's it's not groundbreaking by any stretch of the the word, but it does have mm-hmm. a huge kind of arena sound. Uh, the first three tracks when i first heard the first three tracks i'm like i really want to see these guys in an outdoor venue um it just i mean it could be something from late 70s arena rock could be a trick of cheap trick song for you know they're that's really good um number number three to get through this is uh scandroid dreams of neo tokyo which is actually a remix album but a uh, good scandroid. one yeah it it's a I remix hate remixes album, but it but doesn't add seven and a half minutes of the same sample going over and over again it's just re re envisioning certain songs on the scandroid album uh came out pretty early in 2017 and when i when i actually found myself listening to that more than the original album which i don't remember the original album's name is it just neo tokyo yes yeah so it has is that an akira reference uh sort of pretty much yeah the whole the if you listen to a lot of the um, new retro wave kind of stuff, they make a lot of references to Neo Tokyo, which I think was first, um, you know, birthed out of uh, Akira, actually. So. Yeah, I remember that from a comic from the 80s. Wow, you actually read it in comic form. That's crazy. Yeah, I had it. I had the first four or five um, uh, uh, magazine, uh, comics. Like, I, I don't remember how many I had, but yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, that's a, a really cool time. Okay, so that's uh, that was my number three. Uh, my number two is Nocturnal by The Midnight. Now, of course, The Midnight it did loan us their song for openings and closings of the podcast itself. That's not the reason that's on there. The album Nocturnal came out uh, just a few uh, October 13th, actually. We had a very busy mm-hmm. October with all this stuff coming out, so we actually didn't get a chance to cover this one, I don't believe, which is crazy. But um, not a very long album. I believe it's about seven tracks. Um yeah, it's technically an EP, but whatever. They released this on Crystalline first. and So good. I listened to that song so many times that it kind of melded in with their previous albums because it was like their two first two albums and that song that I would listen to a lot. Um, it only missed my number one by very little. Um, I felt they were a little heavy on the um, the saxophone in some, some things, but 
it was it's just a great album. Great vocals by Nikki Flores again. And just a great album to put on when driving around. And my number one album, actually, it did come out very late 2016 in December. Um, it did not have released songs until 2017. So you can say I'm cheating a bit, but it was an album I just covered a couple weeks ago. And that is actually highly suspect, The Boy Who Died Wolf. And I was actually pretty shocked that a rock album from a band of people that are, what, 23, 24 years old and talk about drug use as much as these guys do would make it to the top of my list. They're a solid band, though. They're really good. Um, since I started listening to that album, I've, you know, it's holiday time, so I've been driving all over the place. It's pretty much been what I've been listening to when I'm in the car. Uh, it's just really good. There's at least four or five standout tracks, and every time I listen to it, I'm like, oh, no, this is my favorite track on the album. Hmm. Um, those being uh, My Name is Human, of course, is the first track on the song, which actually the very first time I heard it, uh, that song didn't stand out to me. But after hearing it a few times, um, I was like, okay, I kind of like this. Uh, Little One, which is kind of their current track that's a big hit. Um, there's a song called For Billy, which just the other day, uh, it's a song that really, it just kind of gets started. Like, it doesn't have a lead in, just boom, goes. And of course, they do a cover. The thing I didn't talk about when we talked about them on the podcast, they do a cover of Send Me an Angel, uh, the, the 80s kind of synthesizer song. I've and it is really, really, like, I'm not really one to ever want to do heroin, but if I'm ever going to do heroin, it's going to be to that song. <laughs> Mine would be uh, Golden Brown by The Stranglers. Mine used to be some of the stuff from like the Deftones off of White Pony, but this song took its place. It's just a, like a, just a slinky, like dirty, just a good song, just a good cover. And it it's not even one of those covers that's like you could say it's better than the original. It's completely different than the original, and it's just – it's just sexy, for lack of a better term. So, even if you if if you want to hear something cool, check out the uh, highly suspect uh, album. So, and that right. particularly that send me an angel cover. So, that's my that's my five albums of the year. Cool. Well, I guess I can get into mine. Um, I've talked about a couple of these albums before, but starting at my number five would be False Youth, etc. by Roadkill Ghost Choir. They are a Florida band whom I've talked about. They're one of those bands that push me outside of my comfort zone that, you know, 20 years ago, me would say, why the hell are you listening to this? But they're a very Americana. Um, they've also been described as Appalachia kind of feel. Um, the track off of this album that, you know, for me, um, I guess is the best track is uh, Cassette Memory. Um, it talks about their throwbacks to, uh, you know, other bands, you know, Tom Petty is a huge influence on them, uh, Bruce Springsteen. And it's, it's kind of one of those albums that makes me want to listen to these other influences. There's a lot more. So that would be my number five. My number four, and this is where my list gets kind of weird, um, is the Black Dahlia murder. The album is called Nightbringers and, um, my favorite track off the album is Kings of the Night World. It's a death metal album. Um, they're heavily influenced by the horror genre, by video games. Um, their earlier work that they've done, you know, What a Terrible Night for Occurs, is a direct pull from Castlevania. And uh, they're just one of those brand bands that always brings it for me. So they can do no wrong, and I hope they keep making awesome death thrash music 
I just made that genre up. <laughs> uh, number three. Copyright is, quick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll get right on that. Uh, number three, The Midnight, uh, Crystalline. Um, the song from the album is just, you know, uh, from the album Nocturnal or EP is just, you know, they released that before the album actually came out and it's on constant rotation. I still listen to it. It's not gotten old yet and I don't think it will. Number two is by a band that I've seen twice in the same year, um, uh, from Louisiana, Goat Whore. Yes. They are a, uh, Not to be confused with Goat Hammer. Yeah. No, Goat Whore is a folk, um, family band. <laughs> uh, they're gospel. No, uh, Goat Whore <laughs> is death metal. Their latest album, Vengeful Ascension. Uh, my favorite track off the album is Mankind Will Have No Mercy. They are, to me, juggernauts in death metal genre. They've been around for years. I've listened to them since I was probably 13 or 14, and this album coming out this year was so great. I had seen them twice in the same year, and they were great both times. My number one album is actually a re-release from one of my favorite bands that I had never even heard this album although they've influenced me for years, is um, the album Erotic Massage by the band Dog Fashion Disco. The album was re-released on May 19th. My favorite track from the album is Wait. They are a extraordinarily diverse, eclectic band that is, you know, falls more into the hard rock genre than anything else. And I'm going to talk about a book later that, uh, an author actually wrote, you know, as in drawing inspiration from one of their albums. But if there's one band that I would suggest that people listen to, to kind of expand their minds or expand their, their influences is dog fashion disco. And, um, it's a great, great album, you know, okay. erotic massage. I haven't heard goat horn in a long time. Right on. Yeah, no, that's, I, it's been a really long time since I heard any goat. Horn. Okay. I'm going to talk about something a little visual. Yeah, let's go. And talk about the best album covers of the year. Being a graphic designer, these are the ones that stood out to me. So I'm going to go pretty quick on these. You guys can look them up or we will put them on our Facebook page. In fact, I will make that note right now. Um, my number five is the reason why I am doing this list. And that is the Kendrick Lamar album, Damn. Uh, the album cover is just Kendrick Lamar. He's standing in front of like a painted red brick wall looking down. And the title of the album is just Damn. It's in all caps right at the top of the page. And it is an absolutely terribly designed album cover. And it is number one because it is stripped down and it is designed to be a terribly designed album cover. I mean, it breaks almost every single rule of design. It, I mean, even half of the word is off the page. Like the period is cut off, the top of the D is cut off. And it's the reason why I picked this category because it's so noticeable that it proves its point. And it's such a stripped down album that having that kind of album cover on it based on his previous albums, it was pretty impressive. Uh, my number four is another one of the surprising ones for me. Actually, as is number three, uh, the Greg Allman album, Southern Blood. It is a just a photo of a of a dock in the south. There's moss hanging off the trees and all that. Uh, it turned out to be Greg Allman's very last album. It's a total Allman album cover. It is. It's just a, a beautiful final picture, just kind of this long old dock. And it's stuff that living in Florida, you guys see all the time just when you go to the parks and stuff. So or the hiking trails. So that one really, it just, it gave me the warm fuzzies when I looked at the album cover. So that one was one of them. 
sepia or whatever. Yeah. And it even has like the, I mean, it's probably a filter, but it has like the, the burn in the film. Yeah. Like that burn in the film, like where the sun is coming in at the top and it's got little orange. Um, I honestly did not listen to this album at all, but I'm going to have to, uh, suffocation of the dark light. Uh, the album cover stood out to me just because it's, it's this like body being ripped apart by lightning and the art is so good and you can like feel the power crackling through it that it just, I kept coming back to it. Um, my number two, I'm revisiting one of my best albums list and that's going to be Scandroid Dreams of Neo Tokyo. Just, I love the glow. I love the artwork. I love the, you know, just the, the album cover looks like the sound of the album, very crisp and clean and bright and neon. And my number one, again, I am shocked that this hit anything that I would ever talk about. It is the Kesha album Rainbow because the album cover looks like a yes album from like 1978. Uh, and it's not just because she's naked on the cover, but it's got like, it's like, airbrushed and it's got like you know random water and just random shapes and could be a boston album cover it looks exactly like a boston album cover yeah because it's got like these like alien things above her and it just whenever i was looking at every album cover i could find there was just oh yeah she's naked on it yeah and it wasn't even because of that but just like whenever i kept on looking at album covers like this one kept on coming out and it it was like it made me want to listen to the album and i would never ever ever want to listen to a kesha album so it did its job, so that was the album cover that stood out as one of my best. Just to get off the rails for a second, I heard an interview with Kesha once on like NPR. She is cool as shit. Mm-hmm. She's really smart. She's so awesome. She's just a cool – she's like, you know what? I just make pop music. It's not brain surgery. It's no big deal. It's just fun. Yeah. She was cool. Uh, she was great. And, she's, and she actually is like a spot-on piano player, and she plays a bunch of different instruments. She's not dumb, but she's like, you know what? I'm going to make my money doing pop, and I'm going to – Played the music I actually want to play. She's actually a huge rock fan. She seems to be, yeah. And I and I kind of felt for her with her whole producer situation that she had in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think she ended up thankfully think- winning that battle. Although, especially now, like people haven't mentioned her, but she was really one of the forefront of the sexually sexual. Oh, she's she's stuff. cool. I have huge respect for her. Uh, I think some did, Jimmy. Did you have a album? So my top five album covers are you know ones that kind of fall into my list of um, actually not entirely of my top five albums but number five roadkill ghost choir false youth etc i think it's a very interesting image that they used um for their album cover number four cannibal corpse red before black uh the art of vince Locke uh kind of follows through it's very comic book very horror it's it's great uh number three could not be a nicer guy yeah he's a super nice guy um Number three is going to be Vanta Black by Perturbator. Perturbator! Just because... That almost made my list as well. The contrast there in the image, it's like a derelict kind of factory. It's it's very cool, very appealing to me. Uh, number two is Return to Alvagrath. I actually said it right this time. Nice. Alvagrath. Alvagrath <laughs> uh, by Future Cop. <laughs> it's a very artistic album cover. It's very... Thought-provoking, I think, and, and really captures the mood of the album. And number one is Drunk by Thundercat. Uh, it almost made my almost list. made your list. Um, I've never even heard the album, but the uh, the cover is this. It, it's like a man, um, like emerging from the water. It's him. Oh, it's him. It's, it's Thundercat. So, so it's Thundercat coming yeah. out from the water, making this very. Uh, menacing kind of face. I don't... It's just look it up. You'll love it. Thunder! Thunder! Thundercat! Yeah. 
Yeah, Thundercat's like a, a session bass player, and he's probably you've probably heard his work a lot. I can't speak to what, exactly what he's on, but he released an album. And you know, bass players are weird, especially when if you've ever heard any bass player that releases like an album largely of bass stuff. I mean, you only have to look at Primus to see how weird it can get. And the album cover is just it speaks to that weirdness. Okay, keeping with with music here, and we're gonna f- close out the music side here with um, some concerts and live events. And Jimmy, since you just spoke, we will have you go one more time. Sure. All right. So we're talking about live music events here um, that we've either seen or you know witnessed the stream of. And to start it out and connecting this to the loss of George A. Romero, I saw this year at the Fringe Festival, which actually takes place all around the world. But this year at Orlando Fringe, I got to see a live music for Night of the Living Dead, which was actually performed by two artists uh, while watching Night of the Living Dead on a screen. They did their own improv soundtrack to it, and it was fantastic. It was totally hypnotizing and you know, I hope they come back to Fringe this year, but it was fantastic. Uh, the group is is called Modern Robot. They're the ones who performed the soundtrack to the, the film. Um, number four is going to be Dance with the Dead with Ghost and Moon Dragon. Greg and I actually were both at this concert at Will's Pub, and it was awesome, you know, seeing these guys live. Also very nice. Very nice guys. Yeah, it took pictures with dance with the dead moon dragon's a super nice guy he's local uh, as part of the new retro wave it was a really fun concert number three and this is this is difficult this could go either way three or two but i got to see toxic holocaust with goat horror and venom goat horror. and it was <laughs> i talk about goat horror a lot here but it was a great show i'd never seen toxic holocaust live i'd seen goat horror and venom before but it was a great show, super loud. My ears are still ringing from it. Number two is actually a live stream that Greg and I both saw from The Midnight. It was a show, their second show was live in L.A. And, you know, it wasn't feasible to go out there and see them live. Hopefully they'll come down here eventually. But The Midnight played live in L.A. with FM84. It was fantastic. Um Hopefully they'll have some video of that available soon. And number one, Metallica. Juggernauts of hard rock, heavy metal. We saw them at Camping World Stadium. And, oh man, was that a good time. Greg, I'm sure you'll have more to say about it. Yeah, I will. Um, I've got one of these as well. I was looking for a little bit more information about something. but um, So uh, my number five was uh, the Midnight Stream that Jimmy just spoke about, Midnight FM84. Uh, you know, I was in California, so I was up really late watching it on my phone. But it was just so, it was so good for a band that did everything themselves. Two bands or two musicians that did everything themselves or a group of musicians, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. It was very cool hearing the crowd respond and singing back. In fact, um, when he started the song Gloria. Oh, yeah. It was just, like you can the camera was on his face in this one video that I saw of it. And when people were singing the, ly- the lyrics to him, he smiled so hard that like he couldn't start the song like he there's a hesitation and it's just it's so cool to see was that where he 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 was like oh you guys know the words to this song yeah 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 so that was my number five just because I, I wished i was there but i was not in california in october or november or whenever it happened um 
Number four, Tears for Fears and Hall of Oats. Hall and Oats, rather. Hall of Oats. <laughs> <laughs> Hall of Oats. Look at my Hall of Oats. <laughs> yes, I'm bragging about my Hall of Oats. Um, Tears for Fears and Hall of Oats, just two bands I've always wanted to see. They both came together, and it was just a great show. It was fun, a fun night. Um, specifically, Tears... Tears for Fears, of course, played Mad World, which I could not wait to see. Hollow Notes, you can tell they just love they just love playing music. And also Tears for Fears did yet another cover song. They did a cover of Radiohead's Creep, which was so good. It's like they like they did, they kind of went into it and it was just oh, it was just so good. Uh, my number three is the Moon Dragon Dance with the Dead and Ghost Show, or Ghost, as Rob calls it. <laughs> um that Jimmy spoke about. The Metallica show was number two. Huge show. It was as big as Metallica should be. But even with that star power and just this big stadium show, my number one was the, I just mentioned it not too long ago, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concert. Uh, uh, it was, okay, so um, these are some of the events that I got to see there. Uh, le- it was one big show. The Electric Light Orchestra, of course, played, opened up with um, Roll Over Beethoven in tribute for of Chuck Berry and then played some of their own hits. Uh, when Yes came on, the bass player of Yes has since passed away. So Getty Lee from Rush played bass for them. Uh, Joan Baez, classic, uh, back from the '60s, the folk folk uh, singer who was very b- instrumental in the you know the hippie movement and the protest movement. Um, her giving a speech in the current political climate, but she wasn't overly political. But she was. She talked about like her granddaughter playing, like didn't really know who she was until. Taylor Swift realized that Joan Baez was in this concert and brought her backstage to meet her. And then her granddaughter got to meet Taylor Swift. And all of a sudden she's like, grandma, you were like cool at one point. Just kind of cute. They did a Tupac tribute with, and since obviously he wasn't going to be able to be there, it was um, Alicia Keys played piano throughout it. And um, Tretch from um, Naughty by Nature came out and Snoop and T.I. did stuff for for Tupac. Uh, I had no idea who Niall Rogers was. Um, did you guys know who Niall Rogers was? I, I don't See, even I did know not. Ti is he's a uh, rapper. Definitely not the first time Greg's seen Ti. That's true. That is true. Ti was in. Uh, he's an actor too. Yeah. Yeah. So Rob probably. What was he in? He was in um the 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 Showtime show um about uh, oh my gosh I can't remember the name of it right now but that's like, but not a real movie. I don't know if he's been in any movies but he's been in a couple of TV shows. He's pretty good actually. He can he can hold his own on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Niall Rogers, um, he got introduced, introduced by, um, Pharrell. That's where, that's his big, and he talked about, he has this one guitar that he plays on a, almost all, if not all of his songs that he's done. And that guitar has made more than $1.3 billion in in money for various songs. It's the guitar, that crunchy guitar you hear in the song, like modern love. And that's actually what I was trying to look up. I was trying to look up the songs that he played on. Um, he did, uh, this, that's an old, 70s song say chic yeah get lucky with daft punk um uh what was the duran duran song that he did madonna um like i mean i uh i wish i could i wish i had this written down oh notorious duh it was notorious he did um pretty much more almost every pop song of the 80s and 90s if it had like a kind of a crunchy guitar sound in it it he did it so that getting to see that um yeah, Modern Love is actually one of my favorite songs of all time. Nice. It's a, good, it's a great song. Uh, Steve Perry reuniting with Journey, although they didn't play together. I got to see Lenny Kravitz do a tribute to Prince, where they where he played with the Doves Cry with a full um, chorus behind him. Uh, David Letterman showed up looking like a hobo and introduced Pearl Jam. Um, and they played Pearl Jam played alive with um, the original drummer, Dave Cruson, 
they uh, given to fly and they did better man. Then of course they closed out the night because Neil Young was supposed to introduce Pearl Jam, but he got, he was sick. So they played for Neil, they played rockin' in the free world, which, which Pearl Jam journey. Yes. And Getty Lee all played together. Oh, and, uh, Donnie Harrison, so George Harrison's son, joined them as well. So it was it was just a crazy night of great music, and I that there's nothing that's going to beat that for this year. So I watched the Pearl Jam, the whole thing through with uh, with David Letterman all the way through Pearl Jam on on um, mm-hmm. on YouTube, HBO. Oh, okay, no, just that one, just that segment. I didn't watch the whole thing, but um, mm-hmm. it was amazing. It was so cool to watch. I mean, first of all, David Letterman's awesome. But then, like, just watching Pearl Jam do their speeches and everything, and it was really, really – it was very interesting. And then I thought, well, how come some of those middle drummers were not part of the induction? But I realized that it's because you have to have been in the in the band, you know, a certain number of years to to be eligible. Mm-hmm. So Matt Cameron from Soundgarden is in because he's in the band currently. And then Dave yeah. Crusoe. And has been, he's actually been their drummer the longest, longest yeah. as weird as that sounds. Yeah, like but my favorite is the Jack Irons era, but he wasn't in it because he wasn't, he hadn't been in the band the proper length of time to be eligible. Yeah. And Jack Irons, of course, used to play with the Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. But that's just a great area, yield and no code. Well, I don't want to get off on off track, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think we are, we are going to move on from music. All right, so moving away from music and into... Uh, the, the staying with the world of sound, uh, talking about our top five podcasts for the year. Number one is us. Number one is us, of course. Um, but my five. Uh, we you didn't even we didn't even make my list because of that Greg idiot who keeps on pronouncing everything yeah, wrong. It's, and that so and that one guy who farts a lot. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy, why would you do that? Hey, what are you talking about? So my five. Starting with number five, and I hate to put them so low, but is our friends at Trick or Treat Radio. Uh, they discuss everything from horror movies to wrestling to music, uh, just a bunch of crazy dudes. They have a lot of great guests. So Trick or Treat Radio, my number five. Number four is actually a podcast that I got into recently that, you know, these have been ongoing through the years. These aren't new to 2017 podcasts, but... Number four is Creepy. If you guys have ever heard of Creepy Pasta, it's a horror literature website thing where people will write these short stories, these short horror stories that can be as few as a couple of words, a couple of sentences to whole, you know, a couple of paragraphs. But the production is very good on Creepy. Uh, it's it's very creepy. So you know. It's very cool to listen to when you're, you know, going for a walk at night. It, it, you know, makes my skin crawl. So, uh, number f- three is going to be a podcast called Ear Hustle. And that is produced by inmates from, um, prison. You know, it's, 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 if you guys ever watched, um, the show Lock Up or anything like that, it is, uh, a very intimate telling of inmates produced by inmates from inside of prison. So it's a very revealing look at, you know, life on the other side, I guess. Uh, my number two is going to be it's San Quentin, San Quentin. Yes. Uh, produced and starring 
well, starring, but featuring inmates and their stories. So it's very interesting to listen to. Number two is going to be King Falls AM. It is a story-driven podcast produced by a couple of guys um, from a mountaintop AM radio in a very strange town, much like Deary, Maine of the Stephen King universe. It's it's very fun. Uh, they do it very well. So check it out. And number one, my favorite, Lore, which has been adapted into a television series this year. Aaron Mankey and the guy's killing it. They've, uh, you know, they're approaching or have surpassed a hundred million downloads. Uh, they stay within so, the, yeah, they stay within thirty minute range every episode, and it's just it gives me chills. That's like great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> thirty minutes every episode. Um, but if you haven't heard of Lore by now, you know, check it out. He's still producing it, still staying true to it. You know, biweekly podcast. It's great. How about you, Greg? Actually, I think Omar has one. Oh. Actually, I wanted to ask a quick question. Jimmy, I think you would appreciate this, but you've probably heard of it. Have you heard of two-sentence horror stories? I have heard of that. And when you said about the creepy podcast, that reminded me of it. Yeah. Um, they are uh, – you have they're, – they're absolutely the best horror stories that I've ever heard. Um, yeah, and it's, sentences. it's freaky how much and how creative people can put, you know – that much into two t- two sentences, right? It's, there's some creepy stuff. Um, my favorite is um, you know, my uh, my daughter kept me up screaming all night. I went to her grave the next day to ask her to stop. Like, whoa! Like, are you kidding me, man? That's like, that's uh, like, mind blowing. Um, there was yeah. a picture of me. Uh, there's a picture of my phone yeah. in my phone of me sleeping. I live alone. Like, like what the hell? Like, those are. The, yeah. I, to me, simplicity is the the is is the key to, this, and those are amazing. Uh, podcast. So I, I am I up? Yeah. Yes, you okay. are. So I've got I've got my five, but my my number six. I'm I'm gonna have to just do a little bit of a special reference here, and that is the How Did This Get Made podcast. The only reason it didn't make it into my top five is a lot of what I listened to from them was from previous years, and they do a lot of live shows. Mm-hmm. And the podcast is kind of ancillary to that. Like, it's really good. They talk about movies. They make fun of movies. They play, you know, they, they do the live show. But, like, they'll do a live show in February, and then the podcast will come out, like, in July. So it's kind of a little separated. But for me, um, my number five is The Great Albums, where they go back and they, they'll they go track by track on albums that are considered classics and even some that are indie, indie albums. Um, I find it interesting because there's the one guy who really likes Pearl Jam. And they did almost every Pearl Jam album. And there's another guy who literally every music, every artist that he likes, I hate. Like, it's very much that indie, like, indie music with, like, no balls. And he's like, oh, this is really great. And it's, like, kind of wishy-washy and you know, stuff like Bjork and stuff like that that I just can't stand. <laughs> like, quirky, quirky music. So, But I find it very interesting as they go through each of the albums and they talk about, because it's an opportunity for me to hear some of the songs that, you know, like, some of the other songs on Song Remains the Same or whatever, or on uh, House of the Holy, you know, just like stuff that you don't normally hear. So um, anyway, the podcast that got me into podcasts in general is a podcast called iFanboy, which is a comic book podcast. They do such a good job of describing comics that I've actually, even though they were out put out to help the comic book industry, you know, these just fans, they're actually exactly my age, our age. Um, they just talk about comics. They're so good at it that I haven't had to buy comics since then because they just, they talk about it. I get the story. Oh. I know what's going on. 
Um, I can look up the artwork online and I'm good, but I'm also in, uh, I'm a patron of theirs. So I, I, I do give them a little bit of money each year or each month for, for the podcast and get to kind of add some stuff to their list. I mentioned it earlier, but the WTF podcast, it is a straight up interview podcast. He, uh, Mark Marin is great. I'm going to talk about him again eventually, but, um, he does a podcast out of his garage. Uh, we'll have everybody from, you know, Obama to Bill Paxton to, uh, one of the guys from How Did This Get Made is uh, uh, Jason Matsuzakis. Matsuzakis, uh, just comedians. He'll have musicians. He'll have all sorts of people, and he is a musician. Roger himself. Waters. Who? Roger Waters. Yeah, Roger Waters was on. It's just, and it's just deep conversation. He's he is a recovering addict, and he is very straightforward about things. So he'll just he will bring someone in there that you would think like you can't ask certain questions to certain people, and he'll just be like, "So tell me about the drug addiction. So tell me about this. Tell me about." that and it's just he's so straightforward about it and he gets these crazy good answers um so it's it's riveting uh number two is lore jimmy already talked about it it's a great podcast uh my number one is pod save america that is where i get my politics it is incredibly brilliant people that were part of the obama administration explaining what is going on and the fact that these brilliant people were around and know exactly what's going on it's moderately terrifying the the litany of morons that has been in and out of the white house since most of them are already gotten fired at least once. Um, knowing the amount of intelligence that are in that room, describing things and explaining what's going on. So, um, it's a great podcast and it is of course where you can get some pretty decent takes on politics and learn some stuff. So that is my, that is my 5.1, 5.5. Pod safe America was like my number seven. It's really good. It's good. It's just hard to listen to sometimes. Just not because it's bad, but because it's like depressing. Because it's depressing. Yeah. I I typically don't listen to anything political related simply because it's <laughs> nearly impossible to find a non biased view for anything relating to politics. Everybody is serving up their own agenda, so it, it always just pisses me off. So I don't ever listen to any of that. You want to listen to history if you want to. You know, usually the historians are the ones that are moderately, unless it's uh, Howard Zinn. They're a little bit less biased, but of course, then you're running a few years behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, shall we move on to uh, what's next? Books? Books? Books, I believe. Okay. So for this category, we're going to talk about books that we've discovered this year. As Correct. It is, it's hard to keep up with, you know, unless you go out and you buy hard copies of these books that come out, you know, every year. Um, we're going to talk about books, you know, that we've read this year. Basically, so Rob, do you want to go first? Sure, um, because I'll I'll actually start off my list. Uh, you'll you'll probably enjoy it, but um, my my number five is one that was actually recommended to me by Jimmy on this very podcast, and that would be you listen to this crap. <laughs> I know, right? That would the be the legend of humor. It would be the legend of humor, and it might have awesome. been it might have been higher on my list. I was not thrilled with the way it ended. Okay. Um, so I, the the ending was the only thing that kind of that kind of you know irked me a little bit. What he told me was that he wanted significantly more minotaur sex. I did, and there was not very much <laughs> minotaur sex. There was there was not enough, you know, because they've got really long tongues and it's really interesting, and I'd really like to hear it described. Well, that's way more descriptive. Okay. Eighteen fifty one. Wow. Is now the the new uh, uh, so, censored off the rails. Yeah. So um, yeah. So the legend of Huma is my number five. Um, my number four is 
is going to be a book that actually did come out this year, which is called Oathbringer. It's a book by Brandon Sanderson. It's the third book in the Stormlight Stormlight Archive series. Riddled with Minotaur sex. No Minotaur sex whatsoever. Um, but it's it's and it might be uh, again. It might be higher had I gone back and because one of the problems I have with books in a series is that sometimes Brandon Sanderson's not as guilty of this as some of the other authors that I'm currently reading. But sometimes I'm looking at you, George R.R. R. Martin or Patrick Rothfuss. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it takes these authors like 10, 11 years to write the next book. And it's like, I've forgotten everything that happened. Um, and I've read so many books between the last, the second book in the series and this book that I've kind of lost track. And I really should have gone back and, and, and reread the first two. Um, but so far I'm enjoying it. It's uh, it's a really good book and it actually did come out this year. My, my number three is going to be one that I discovered this year. Um, but it was released in 2014 and it's actually kind of like an autobiographical. And I actually got it on audible because I heard the author of the book was also the guy who did the narration. And the book is called As You Wish. And and Greg, Jimmy, you might even know this, but Greg probably knows that The Princess Bride is my personal favorite movie of all time. Oh, we yes. all know. Yes. Fantastic and, movie. And the, the book As You Wish is written by Carrie Elwes, narrated by Carrie Elwes, and it's about his experiences while filming the movie The Princess Bride. Oh, nice. And it and it talks about and it, he's got a lot in there to say about Andre the Giant. And I loved Andre the Giant and he was fantastic in that movie. It's one of the only movies that he was ever in. I think he had like a small role in another movie, but it was it was one of the only like major roles that he had in a movie. And he was he was really really amazing. Um he talked a lot about how Andre the Giant had such pain and discomfort in his back just from being so large and how his, his ability to consume alcohol was absolutely legendary. Yeah. I've heard stories like in a sitting, he would start with a case of wine. Holy shit. A, a case of wine. And one of the stories he tells about Andre is how at after one of the readings they went out they went out to drink and Andre Andre drank so much because he drank to numb the pain. He didn't take any drugs or anything, but alcohol was his was his um painkiller of choice. Um he drank so much at this hotel bar that they all went to. On the way out, Andre passed out in the lobby on the floor. And Andre, for those who don't know, Andre the Giant was actually called Andre the Giant because he was, in fact, a giant. He was yeah. he was seven feet tall, 500 plus pounds. Holy crap. And he is laying on the floor of the lobby in this hotel room and nobody can in this hotel and nobody can wake him up because he is passed out drunk. Have they, you ever seen the picture of him holding a 12 ounce beer can? No. It's like a tiny, like, little toy in his hand. I I believe it. I believe it. And and nobody in this hotel can move him because he's so enormous. So what they ended up doing 
was instead of calling the police or calling whoever, <laughs> they just roped him off and let him sleep it off. <laughs> and in the morning, in the morning, he gets up and walks out. <laughs> but it it is such a great look behind the scenes, and I, I and and I got the audible, and the audible, I think the 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 audible book is only like seven hours long, so it's not a terribly long book. But it's listening to Carrie Ellis tell all of these stories, and it's just absolutely fantastic. If you like Audible and you like the movie The Princess Bride, I definitely recommend that you pick it up because I really, really enjoyed it. Cool. Um, my fourth is actually going to be a series that I just finished. It's, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit and do a series. Um, but it's called – it's one that, that I actually talked about on a previous podcast called The Red Queen's War. And if you remember, you remember it's a, it's a series of three books. It was written from 2014 to 2016. But one of the reasons I really enjoyed the book was because the narrator was absolutely fantastic. And I talked about that at length, so I won't go too far into it here. But the, uh, the narrator was absolutely fantastic. It's a great series. The first book, I believe, is called The Prince of Fools. Um, yeah, The Prince of Fools. Second book is The Liar's Key. And the third book is The Wheel of Awesome. I could totally hear you looking around at your bookshelf. Oh, no, I was looking at a piece of paper. I actually still have the uh, the notes up here from that podcast where I where I was talking about it. Nice. nice. But um, the, it's it's a great series. I highly recommend it, especially if, you, if you've got Audible and you listen to the books, because uh, Tim Gerard Reynolds is a great narrator. Um, but my number one was written in 2015. I just discovered it this year because I was getting so sick and tired of waiting for Patrick Rothfuss to get around to writing the third book in the King Killer Chronicle series. Uh, oh my god! And he's and he's so salty about it too. It's and that's, he's like guys, stop right, stop asking me when it's going to be done. Exactly, exactly. And it's like you know he goes so annoying. He goes to to a convention, you know, and and he gets pissed off that the people at the convention have the nerve to ask him how the book is coming, and he's and he'll give answers like, "Did I tell you it was done? Obviously not. No, I'm not done." Next question. And it's like, dude, don't be such a dick. People are here to talk to you, man. They just want an update. That's it. Why are you such an asshole? So excuse me for ranting a little bit, but I was looking for no, something. I hear you, man. I was looking for something to fill the void there, waiting for the third book forever. I think he's I think he's taken like eight or nine years now to write the third book. Um we're getting into George R. R. Martin territory there. Um but I found something um, that was recommended that said, if you like the King Killer Chronicle series, you should check out Dawn of Wonder. And Dawn of Wonder is a book that's along the same lines. I mean, it's, it's about a kid who goes into, um, who goes into like a school, but it's more like a military school. So it's kind of along the lines of like, um, like a Harry Potter or like the, the King Killer Chronicle, you know, where he, where he goes to the, to the university. Um, but it's just really well done. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the next book in the series. But again, he's he's taking several years to to get around to it. So, but I re- all that being said, I did really enjoy the book, and I am looking forward to the next book in the series. And the series is actually called The Awakening, and that'll round out my top five. Jimmy, I believe you've got I wish I had more time for that. For what books? I have more time for re- like I don't I do Audible. For most stuff, but mm-hmm. I can't do fan I can't do fantasy books on Audible just because there's too many weird names and stuff like that. So I tune out. Um, I just don't have enough time to sit down and read the book and still produce uh, a weekly podcast for you, lovely listeners out there. 
Rob, I think you'll appreciate this. Quick aside, I was at uh, Target with my mm-hmm. 10-year-old daughter the other day, and she was looking while, we were, while I was cashing out. She was looking at the $5 DVDs and saw The Princess Bride. Nice. And immediately asked me if she could nice. have Nice, and you said yes. You, uh, you're no, damn right. We no, right you, said, <laughs> you said as you wish. I, yeah, exactly. I said, I'd be disappointed if you didn't ask that. <laughs> so, yeah, nice. yeah, absolutely. She loves that movie. But if if you like the movie, I strongly recommend you check out the As You Wish book. It's written by Carrie Ellison. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the, the author of Dawn of Wonder is Jonathan Renshaw, by the way. And and oddly enough, it is also narrated by Tim Gerard Reynolds. Do you have a narrator thing? <laughs> nice. Uh, Jimmy, did you have a book or a series of books? I do. I have five books, actually. Hit it. My number five is going to be Moonlight City Drive by Brian Pone. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Moonlight City Drive is a rock fiction novel uh, inspired by the album Adultery by the band Dog Fashion Disco. It's a weird territory that apparently rock fiction is a thing, but every chapter is inspired by a different song from the album. So it's fiction about stones? No. Oh. Yes. Sure. Um, Number four is going to be a book that I discovered this year. Um, by an author, David Wong, who wrote John Dies at the End. Uh, it's okay. called Futuristic Violence in Fancy Suits. It's a very cool, you know, futuristic novel. Um, a lot of fun to read. Real page turner. Number three, Naked Alliances by S.K. Nichols that we talked about on the show. And hopefully we'll have her on soon. And talk to on our Facebook page. Yes. Yes. Number two is Babysitter's Guide to Monster, Monster Hunting by our friend Joe Ballerini. And my number one for this year are from my new two favorite authors, L.T. Vargas and Tim McBain, and that's going to be Dead End Girl. They are so self-deprecating on Twitter. They They are. They make fun of themselves all the time. It's really funny. Yeah. I've talked to them, and they're very uh, humble people. They've got me into the crime fiction uh, which I can't escape from, apparently. But uh, very good book, very good, you know, very well written. There's like four books already, including novellas in that series. So, yeah, L.T. Vargas, Tim McVeigh, keep doing it. Yes, and, and uh, I you, too. Oh. oh, I was I was just going to ask Jimmy if he'd gotten around to checking out that book that I had recommended for you, or if you've downloaded it. Not yet. Oh, that hurts. Like you, I've got so many books mm-hmm. like in my queue. I will get to it. All right. I look forward to hearing about it from you. He wants to know what you think about the Minotaur sex. Yes. There's lots of Minotaur sex. No comment. <laughs> okay. So um, I've got a five. Uh, my my number five, it has a bit of an ick factor to it. But to be honest, this book would have been my number one. And it is Giant of the Senate by Al Franken. I'd, I couldn't bump it all the way off the list just because of the – they weren't allegations. They were – you know, he did they touch were- people. Picture evidence, yeah. Yeah, he did touch people, and I will not glorify him, but I did enjoy his book, and I read it, of course, before all of this stuff went – well, before all this stuff came to light. Um, the reason I liked it specifically was because it showed a side of campaigning, and you kind of go into it thinking it's obviously going to have a liberal slant, but it made you feel a little better about the other side coming into power because you're like, well – it can't quite possibly be that bad. All the things we know about them is probably just campaign stuff. 
Um, so when I read it, of course, I was thinking, well, it can't be that bad. It is. But nonetheless, it made me feel a little better heading into it. So that was that would have been my number one, but it was not. Uh, my number four was The Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting, not just because he is a friend of ours and because he came on the show, but Joe Ballerini wrote a great book. It, no, I, it's really fun. It's bites. It's a bite-sized book. It's you know long enough, but it's you know still young adult reading. It created a really fun world. I wanted to kind of live and play in that world. I wanted to. I wanted the book to be, or I want the book to be successful, which it is, so that I could get more of them. And agreed. Good. Um, number three is A Life in Parts by Brian Cranston, where he talks about Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad and just about every other great role of the past 10, 15 years. Just talks about his experiences in Hollywood and getting up there, and it's just. You know, he's just a, a guy's guy and he loves what he does and he chats about it. And, you know, it's just it's, it was an interesting book from someone who's non-controversial and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, who's the new host of The Daily Show. First of all, when he, when he does the reading, it's great because he got that cool South uh, African accent. But, you know, the book is a, it's not as funny as you would think because he literally tells about his life in South Africa and about how his father shot his mother and his mother was just so much of a badass that she basically just refused to die. She's like, no, I got to whoop his ass for this. <laughs> and how he made it over here and how this like South African kid ended up hosting one of the more important shows in this country. Uh, and it's just, a, it's a great book. Um, and my number one surprised the hell out of me. Uh, Can't Make This Up by Kevin Hart. Uh, again, another celebrity book. But what I took out of reading this book or listening to this book in this case was – he was becoming successful just being a comedian that d did referential stuff and just would talk about things he saw and all that. But he became a superstar when he started being honest and being and not being afraid to talk about himself, not just, you know, making up random jokes and scenarios. He started talking about his life and the weird things that he's done and his past and his father that kept on stealing from them. Just And the second he started becoming honest which is kind of what the can't make this up thing comes in is when he became an absolute superstar and it was just a really good book and the the audio version of course has him doing it and he gives you some asides and some additional stories about his uh losing of his virginity and stuff like that which is hilarious so that was my number one most entertaining book of the year nice nice okay guys that takes us through some of the losses of 2017 our music album art concerts podcasts and books we will be back in a few days with part two of our 2017 year-end episode, in which we're going to talk about streaming, television, video games, movies, and of course our entertainers of the year, as well as a few surprises. So thanks for listening, and we will see you soon.